Welcome to the Game Changers podcast. Each week, we navigate the most important changes that affect pharmacotherapy. Plus, you can even earn pharmacy and medicine CE credit. We know you're busy, so let us bring the learning to you. Click on Claim CE Credit in the show notes below. Now let's welcome our host, Jeff Wall, as he discusses this week's clinical practice game changer. Hello and welcome to another edition of Game Changers Clinical Conversations. I am your host, Jeff Wall, Professor of Pharmacy Practice at Drake University. How are you doing? Thanks for joining us on this podcast where we try to do our best to give you the latest information in pharmacotherapy uh, that's evidence-based, whether that be a new study or guidelines or something from the FDA or even just a review of something that's come out. We really try to give you the latest and, and trying to operationalize it for you. So, so, you know, what can you take to the bedside? And that's always been our goal here at Game Changers. Uh, if you're a new listener, welcome. If you're a frequent listener, thanks again for for joining us. So today, uh, actually, we're taking a request. Um, I think one of the first times we've ever done this, and I want to thank uh, Dr. Sam DeMontier. Uh, shout out to him for the suggestion of using this paper uh, that actually just came out in this month's uh, issue of Chest Magazine, where they discussed acute exacerbations of COPD and the never-ending story of what dose of steroids to put these patients on. And, you know, again, I'm old enough to remember back when I first came out of school that we gave just people, oh my God, doses of steroids for acute exacerbations of COPD. It wasn't uncommon at all when some Somebody got admitted to the hospital that they'd get, you know, 125 milligrams IV of methyl pred Q6. And, you know, when I pointed out to my physicians that that's the equivalent of 600 milligrams of prednisone, they were always taken a little bit aback. And they were like, wow, that, that seems like a lot of steroids. And yeah, it is a lot of steroids. And, you know, the question always came up, well, you know, where did we come up with this dose of 125 IV Q6? And it was just because that's the way the drug comes commercially available, right? And, you know, solumeterol vials only come as 40 milligram vials and 125 milligram vials. And so that that's just the dose they picked. And so they picked the higher dose. And that's why we were just totally, you know, nuking patients with steroids, essentially. And things were kind of questioning, you know, about, you know, okay, what's the right dose? In 2013, the REDUCE study was published. And, and that was, I think, a pretty landmark study, because this was a study that looked at giving uh, hospitalized patients with acute exacerbations of COPD, again, these kind of big, big doses of steroids versus just giving them five days of 40 milligrams of prednisone or equivalent, and found there was actually no difference. It was a non-inferiority study, they didn't find any differences between the groups. And so I think there really was a shift just in the last seven or eight years away from giving people these gigantic doses of steroids and going to just 40 times five, at least in hospitalized, but not necessarily ICU patients because they didn't include ICU patients in the original reduced study. But again, that's really the only kind of study we have on all comers with steroids in, in, in acute exacerbations of COPD. There's been some other studies that have suggested that larger doses may be needed, especially if patients are sicker. And so, you know, there was a large retrospective study done, I believe in Korea, that suggested that 40 milligrams a day was not necessarily the perfect dose in everybody. So the big question comes up, you know, is there a way we can kind of personalize the dose of steroids in patients with acute exacerbations of COPD? As we know, this disease is, is, a, is a big deal. It's associated with substantial morbidity. You actually lose a significant amount of lung function with every exacerbation of COPD you have, and you don't get it back. And it is actually a very expensive disease because we treat these patients often in the hospital. So, you know, again, steroids are, are a crucial part of that because we know that, that through several studies, they improve recovery times, they probably stabilize lung function and oxygenation and decrease the risk of relapse as well as getting people out of the hospital quicker. So we know steroids work, but for a long time, we used old gigantic doses. The reduced studies suggested maybe lower doses. And then other studies have suggested maybe a one size fit all isn't the way to go. 
And that's kind of where this study kind of comes in. So again, the study was published in this month's issue of, of CHEST. It was a Chinese study where they did a open label, a randomized multi-site study where they basically derived and assigned a scale based on basically symptoms and lab values. And then it was kind of a titrated scale where they took a look at the dose of steroid based on how bad these patients did on this dosing scale, which was kind of unique. I'd never really seen anything like this before and thought it was pretty interesting. So we'll, we'll talk about what the, what the dosing scale was in just a second, but just to kind of get into the, the nitty gritty of the study, they included people in this open label randomized multi-site study who were over age 40 and had a hospital admission for acute exacerbations of COPD, which they defined as an acute event characterized by worsening of respiratory symptoms beyond normal day-to-day -day variations and leading to a change in medication. They excluded patients who had asthma, who had had corticosteroids within one month of admission, who had radiographic evidence of another issue, pneumonia, pneumothorax, pulmonary embolism, patients who had heart failure, uncontrolled hypertension, and then the need for mechanical ventilation on admission. So these people were sick, but they weren't necessarily critically ill, basically. And what they did in the study then is they randomly assigned patients who met the inclusion exclusion criteria one-to-one -to, -one to either a fixed dose group, the reduced study group, basically, who got the 40 milligrams of prednisone or equivalent daily for five days. And then this personalized dosing group also given for five days. And so the personalized dosing scale they derived is interesting. And, and, and there's nothing in the, in, the, in the paper suggesting why or how they derived this. And of course, they didn't validate it beforehand. So that's, I think one of the crucial problems with the study is that they did derive this dosing scale and that's nice, but they didn't really validate the scale beforehand. And they didn't really use this trial, in my opinion, to really validate it beyond just what, what the outcomes they were looking at. But the dosing scale, basically you can find uh, on the paper, and we have a link to that in the show notes, it looks at a couple of different things. It looks at their CAT score, so it looks at, at basically their overall symptom score. It looks at what's called the anthonison type. There's three types of anthonisins based on the occurrence of increasing, increasing dyspnea, sputum volume, and sputum purulence. That's type one. The occurrence of all three of those symptoms is type two, and then two of the three symptoms is type three with only one symptom is present. So basically, this is the old scale that even now in the gold guidelines is recommended for who might get antibiotics for acute exacerbations of COPD. So basically, if you have more than one of those things, if you have an increase in shortness of breath and either a change in the color of your sputum or increased production of the sputum, the gold guidelines actually say that it's reasonable to consider antibiotics in those patients. So basically, if you had more of them, you got basically a higher score. Same with the, with the cat, the higher the cat, the, the higher the score you got. The other things they looked at were previous use of, of prednisone or equivalent um, uh, dose and what that dose was. They looked at inflammatory markers. So if you had a high C-reactive protein, probably more inflammation, you were more, you, your score went up. If your serum eosinophils were higher, so you might have, you know, what may, may be considered an inflammatory or asthmatic component to your COPD, that increased your score. And then finally, they looked at your arterial blood gas. And if your pH was less than 7.35, or your PACO2 is greater than 45, that also added to your score. So basically, you know, you had all these things uh, adding up to the score. And then based on that, they calculated your, your, your prednisone dose. And this is another key piece. So basically, they added the score together. So and there was, there's a scoring factor for each one of the things we talked about. And then whatever that score was, they multiplied that by 0.5 milligrams times the weight of the patient times 
one plus whatever this total score was. And that was the, the minimum dose of steroid they could be. And then they topped it off though at a maximum risk score of four, basically. So the key piece of this, and it's obviously kind of hard to explain over a podcast, is, is that they utilized a number of symptom scores. They utilized uh, some lab scores and they utilized blood gas analysis to come up with a scoring system. And the higher your number was on the scoring system, essentially the higher the dose of prednisone you were going to get, but weight played a big role as well because it was weight-based dosing. And so I think, I think that's the best way to kind of summarize that. And certainly if you want more information, as I said, we have a link to the paper in our show notes and you can take a look at that scale. You know, again, I top my hat to the investigators to, to design that. It would have been nice if they had given us some information about why they picked those particular factors. So anyway, so after they were uh, uh, figured out what dose they were going to be put on, patients in the fixed dose group, again, were, were received the 40 for five days. Patients in the personalized dose use this specialized scale obviously probably going to be higher doses of steroids in, in most cases. And then they basically started them on that and see, and see how things were. They did count treatment failures, patients who basically required more oxygen support or basically deteriorated clinically. And then if that were the case, they could kind of receive what, what they called rescue steroids or rescue treatments. So they could receive that on top of the steroids that they, they were assigned to in the clinical trial. In addition, patients received a broad spectrum antibiotic for seven days. Again, you can argue whether that's always necessary. I think in a lot of cases, the answer is probably no. Uh, they received a nebulized short-acting bronchodilator three to six times daily as needed. And in many cases, this was a beta agonist, uh, tw a twice daily combination plus teotropium. They also gave expectorant if needed. And again, oxygen therapy was determined by a PAO2. The primary outcome in the study was a combination of in-hospital treatment failure and medium treatment failure. So both in-hospital treatment failure and medium-term treatment failure, they defined the former in hospital treatment failure as death, the need for mechanical ventilation, either invasive or non-invasive, so BiPAP would count for that, and then additional treatment with, with either corticosteroid, aminophilin, or an upgrade of antibiotic use due to the persistence of dyspnea, bronchospasm, or worsening of other respiratory symptoms. So I don't know what an upgrade means. You have to trade in your doxycycline for some Zosin, I guess. I'm not really sure what that means. And then medium-term failure was def defined as patient death or readmission to the hospital because of a COPD exacerbation within 180 days. So so again, the combination of you did poorly in the hospital requiring increasing oxygen requirements or just basically worsening symptoms that required a change in therapy plus a medium ther uh, term failure, which meant that you didn't die in 180 days or have to be admitted to the hospital for a COPD exacerbation. They had numerous secondary endpoints, including length of stay and cost. They looked at short-term failure as well, which they defined as that hospital failure or death at readmission to the hospital within 30 days. They also took a look at leukocorticoid-associated adverse effects, including hyperglycemia, GI bleeding, insomnia, fractures, which I'm not sure you would really develop osteoporosis after being only on steroids for a few few days and psychiatric symptoms. They didn't really go into detail about exactly how they assessed this. And that's kind of key, I think, when you're taking a look at high versus low doses of steroids. So uh, I think that's another big issue with the study is that they say they look at the different adverse effects, but they didn't really go into much detail about how exactly they did that. They were evaluated every day by two respiratory physicians who are not investigators and were blinded to treatment assessment. So that's how they could, um, I think, maintain an open label setup and, and still have some, some decrease in bias. 
obviously doing a blinded study here would, would require using dummy, you know, treatments and would be very, 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 very uh, difficult to do. So I totally get why they did that. And that certainly makes sense. And so basically the two independent investigators basically determined whether the patient had met treatment failure or had required other therapies along those lines. And if there was a, a kind of a disagreement between those two, there was a third non-investigator who basically was the tiebreaker essentially. So taking a look at the statistics, they were pretty reasonable. They calculated that they need 120 patients in each group to have a 20% relative risk reduction in the primary endpoints with 20% relatively less likely to, to have that combination of in-hospital treatment failure and medium-term treatment failure. And looking at the stats, they all seem to make sense to me, so I won't, I won't belabor that point. And then they ended up screening 1,020 patients to find about 120 patients in each group. So again, that kind of speaks to the external validity that a lot of patients were excluded over a period of time just to pick up these, these 120 patients in this group. So we're talking about a study published uh, in CHEST from China that took a look at personalized versus the standard kind of fixed dosing that I think many of us in the United States anyway are pretty used to, to seeing now for acute exacerbations of COPD. We've talked about uh, the, the beginnings of the trial. Now we're going to kind of get into the results. As far as the baseline characteristics, uh, mean age in both groups was about 70, 69.9. They calculated daily doses of prednisone equivalent. So this is, this is a key piece here. So what, what was the doses that they received in the, in the uh, uh, fixed dose and personalized dose? And remember that even the patients who got the 40 milligrams for five days may have received quote unquote rescue treatment with higher doses of steroids if they weren't getting better, basically. So when you dial all that in, patients who received the personalized dose got about 60 milligrams of prednisone a day, whereas the persons in the fixed group gross got around 50 milligrams a day. Now, I think that another key piece, and I think this is really going to speak to safety, is that, again, this is a weight-based dose. And the mean BMI in this study was 21 well, I can tell you that uh, that's probably not going to be the mean BMI in any American study in patients with COPD. And so what that automatically means, since personalized dosing is going to have a higher weight, that's going to mean a higher dose of steroids. And I think that really does speak to the safety issue that they found, because in the end, there were patients, you know, again, the mean doses weren't that different. If you took a look at median doses, uh, you know, yeah, patients with the median doses got around 60 to 70 milligrams of prednisone in the personalized group and a little bit lower. Lower than, than 50 in, in, the, in the fixed dose group. So again, about a 20 milligram difference in prednisone between groups overall, but that number would be much, much higher. And that difference would be much, much higher, I suspect, in trying to apply this data to an average American a patient population. So that's something to really, really keep in mind. And again, these patients were pretty sick. Almost all of them, about 79% of them were in gold stage D, and about one third of them had had a previous acute exacerbation in the last year. So these were pretty sick patients. I think patients that I certainly see in my hospital hospital with acute exacerbation of COPD, and I suspect many of you see the same thing. This was intention to treat analysis, so when we get to the actual outcomes, they found that the primary outcome, again, this failure of therapy in the hospital versus medium-term th therapy occurred in 27.6% of the personalized group compared to 48.8% in the fixed group. So again, a significant drop, a relative risk reduction of, of, of uh, 40%, and that was statistically significant uh, with a confidence interval of 0.24 to 0.68. 
So again, you know, for the primary outcome, they did find that this slightly or you know somewhat higher dose of, of steroids uh, seemed to be more beneficial in this personalized category. Again, hospital failure by itself occurred in 10.6% of patients in the personalized dose group versus 24.4% in the fixed dose group. And again, that was statistically significant. And then medium term failure. So again, that other piece of the primary outcome was actually not statistically significant between the groups. So it seemed like the benefit of this personalized dose was really mostly in the in the in-hospital uh, treatment failure. So does that mean that patients that are bad enough to be admitted to the hospital, you know, should require slightly higher doses of prednisone? That's an, an intriguing thought that needs to be talked about. Uh, they mentioned that adverse effects were similar between the groups. They found that there was a similar difference in hyperglycemia, about 13 to 14% between the two groups, and that really there was no other difference in any of the other side effects. Again, they don't really spend a whole lot of time talking about adverse effects except for hyperglycemia. And again, I would argue that the mean dose difference between these groups wasn't that different because the personalized dosing group was weight-based. And I suspect that if you're going to use higher doses of steroids, these differences are not going to be as similar as they found in the study. So I think that that's a key issue when looking at uh, generalizability of the study, basically. So, so that's kind of what the paper showed. Now, what do I kind of take away from this is it's an intriguing paper. And I agree that a one size fits all for patients is something that we probably should not do. My uh, pulmonologists that I work with uh, in my hospital do point out often that patients who are sick enough to be in the ICU were not included in the original reduced study. And so they feel more comfortable using higher doses of steroids. And we often will put patients on the in the kind of 200 to 300 milligram prednisone equivalent for a couple of days and then try and back them off to 40 as quickly as we can. What this study kind of suggests to me is there is probably a, a patient group that can probably benefit at least in the, in the very short term. Again, we're talking only four or five days of a higher dose of steroids and then rapidly get, getting them off of it. And so, I, you know, I, I think the question is, can we use the dosing scale that they derived for this purpose? And again, because I'm a little unsure about how they derived this score, and I'm a little unsure again about body weight thing. I'm not sure I'm ready to that. I'm not sure I'm ready to make this dosing scale like kind of ready for prime time sort of thing. I think what I really took away from this from this trial is that in patients who tend to be sicker, in patients who have, for example, a very much higher CRPs, in patients who have evidence of, of significant hypercapnic respiratory failure, that we maybe should consider slightly higher or a little bit higher doses of steroids in that initial period of hospitalization, and then rapidly back them off. To, to, to 40 and kind of back and kind of back them down from there. So, I mean, I guess what this tells me is it kind of validates what my intensivists have been long saying is that, you know, patients who are sicker, maybe that 40 milligrams a day times five days just isn't good for everybody. And I think the study does suggest that as well. I'm just not quite ready to take the dosing scale that they have and say, and basically make hundreds of copies of it and hand it out to all my docs and say, here you go, let's start using this. I, I don't think I'm ready. I'm ready to do that yet. I'd sure like to see this study kind of redone in a West population where BMIs tend to be much higher. And also I'd like to see more data as far as safety analysis when that comes around. So I think that's kind of what I take away from the trial. The other piece I would say is for the pharmacists listening is something that we always have to deal with. And, and I guess the, I suspect those in the community pharmacy will nod their heads when they hear this is that one of the most painful prescriptions you have to fill is the guy who's getting some long drawn out taper of steroids and you read the prescription or see the prescription from the uh, e-prescription and it's, you know, 40 milligrams times five days, 35 milligrams times five days, 30 milligrams times five days, all the way down to zero. And you're like, well, that's never going to fit on the, on the vial. So you end up just putting, typing in uses directed and writing it all out for them.
Um, so one thing to kind of keep in mind is that in this study, they did not do a long extended taper. And I, I hasten to say that if it's just for acute exacerbations of COPD and there's not some other reason they need to be on steroids, that long protracted tapers are just not necessary. Uh, even with pretty high doses, you can get pretty high doses for several days and you don't have to worry about the adrenal shutting down or anything along those lines in the first few days. I was always kind of taught that really, you know, no matter what dose of steroid you're getting, you're probably okay. You know, out today, kind of 10 to 14 of high dose steroids, where we have to start thinking about, gee, you know, have we interfered with the negative feedback loop of, of adrenal hormone production? And are we going to have to taper just based on that? So, I mean, if we're talking about tapering based on the fear of adrenal insufficiency, this study also showed that even with the higher doses, that's probably not necessary. And it's going to make it a lot easier for patients to be adherent and, and us to help uh, counsel patients on the right way to, to, to dose these drugs. So bottom line, maybe higher doses in sicker patients. I think that's probably reasonable, but not ready to, to, to bust this dosing scale that these investigators came out with. So that's it for this uh, week of Game Changers. Thanks again, as I said, for listening. I will see you next week. But until then, remember, time flies. I don't know where it's going, but the most important day is today. Take care. Thank you for listening in. Claim your CE credit by clicking on the link in the show notes below and check out CE Impact's other education at ceimpact.com. We curate the most important information in pharmacy and medicine and then deliver it to you. Join today and connect your learning to practice.